0: We're going to be in uh, Luke 15 again. If you want to turn there, or if you, I think John will put it up for you on the uh, projector. Luke 15, verse 11 through 32. papers from what we talked about last week and what I want to further discuss today about the difference between sonship and the orphan heart and it's Luke Luke 15 I love the, all, the, all the parables that are found in this chapter the parable, parable of the prodigal son is the last one and the group of three that are there but they're all about the kingdom. And so we're trying to see the kingdom through the eyes of grace or through the eyes of the Father's love. I will put any extras over out on the table. will just put them over there. Find a the spot for them. And uh as we continue our study and understanding kingdom culture. How I many of we have to understand kingdom culture? because we live in a different kind of culture today in America. But um, In Luke 15, verse 11, the parable of the lost son, we, I spent most of my time just going verse by verse, but today I want to share some of my thoughts. But in verse 11 it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And so then he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he had gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair, spare and I perish with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And this is what I said last week. This is the, the mind of an orphan. When you think that you can somehow be, not be who God called you to be. When God called us all to be sons and daughters of God, and you just change your mind and say, I just want to be a servant, I just want to be a worm, I just want to be a guy standing in the corner doing nothing. You know, but you don't get that choice. Because when you're a born again, you're adopted into the family. The whole kingdom mentality is about family. It's not about, uh, you know, us doing our own thing. But being a part of God's family. And when he arose, he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe. And remember last week we talked about what is, who, whose robe did he put on him? His robe, the father's robe, the robe of righteousness, and he put it on him, and he put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and he brought the fatted calf there, and they killed it, and they ate, and they were merry. We compared that last week to ribeye, and I know some of you have tried ribeyes this week. <laughs> For this, my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. But his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing and he called one of the father's servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me not even a young skinny goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And that's a Scripture. If you ever want to memorize a Scripture, that's the one you want to memorize. He said, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. About three weeks ago I read the Scripture to you and I'm going to read it to you again out of Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. Out of the King James Version it says, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, an heir of God through Christ. Let me read it to you again. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so the paper you have in front of you, there's it's a, compa- a comparison chart of the difference between a son and an orphan heart. And so in sonship, you see the rec- you recognize the kingdom of God in an orphan's heart. You see the kingdom of self. A sonship in sonship, it's love-based. It's based on relationship. Everything in the kingdom flows from relationship. And that's a very difficult thing for people today because we live in a world that doesn't want to relate. We want to be connected only through social media, which doesn't require any relationship whatsoever. We can do whatever we want, be whatever we want, be totally independent, and don't have to worry about what anybody thinks. And if we don't like that person, we just block them. See ya. We're done. You know, So there's, there's no relationship involved. Yet everything in the kingdom, everything in God's family, is about relationship, is about family. You know, I did. My wife and I both did a funeral yesterday for my wife's um, aunt, and that's uh, her her mother's her mother's sister just died, 81 years old. And there were seven sisters, seven, and there's only one left out of the seven. But there was also two boys. And uh, they asked Marie and I to do the funeral for the family. It was awesome. You know, 150 people there at least. And uh, people from Dallas, people from New York, people from Tampa. And uh, it was just a great honor to do that and to share with them about the love of God. That's what we shared about, God's love. And talking about family, how important family is. You know, that's what we. That's why I think that's one of the greatest reasons why God created the church, so that we could be family and we could relate to one another. But we have to understand that when you have family, you have to have certain aspects of understanding about forgiveness. I mean, you know, if you're in a family, if you don't understand forgiveness, you're gonna have problems, you know, and I think it's a high priority, you know, being able to forgive for things we don't understand sometimes, and sometimes we we offend each other and we don't even know we're offending one another, so we have to be willing to forgive, you know, and love one another again and again and again. so that's the difference that's why. I shared the little thing in the middle, is is instead of drawing a line all the way down, I just used a slash there. Sonship is rooted in the spirit of worship. In the orphan heart, it's rooted in self. Sonship is the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a habitation. He's with us all the time. The Bible says He never leaves us nor ever forsakes us, no matter what we do. And that's very hard for us sometimes to wrap our head around, our mind around, Because when we make mistakes, or we sin, or we go the opposite way, we condemn ourselves. God's not even in on the party that you play. You know, we sometimes condemn ourselves because we don't understand it. We don't understand how good God is, because He never judges us by what we do. And that's why, if you look underneath the Holy Spirit habitation or the temporary visitation, if you look at the next line, in sonship, It's all about identity, who you are in Christ, who God is, who is God. He's the God that forgives all our sins, past, present, and future. So we be, we have, and then we do. But in the orphan mindset, we gotta do to earn. You know, everybody thinks in a lot of religion today, you know, a lot of religion is based on what you do. But that's not kingdom. That's not God. God doesn't want us to do anything except Worship Him and love Him and thank Him for all that He's done. I mean, that's what I think is so much fun about just having the ability to thank Him. And sometimes it's good to thank Him before we even get what we're asking for. You know, just be in a thankful heart. Because I believe when when you're filled with thankfulness and when you're filled with gratitude, literally, I believe breakthrough will start taking place in your life. When you adopt an attitude of gratitude. I believe suddenly, so if you're looking for a suddenly, the Bible's full of suddenlies, especially in the book of Acts. And I believe suddenlies will start breaking out in your life when you, when you, when you have that heart of gratitude. And that's not just because of Thanksgiving. It should be a lifestyle. It should be for every day. Not just a, you know, a couple of days, but I do appreciate Thanksgiving as well. <laughs> and then bringing it, another thing is, Identity and intimacy under sonship versus the orphan heart of inheritance and destiny. And then bringing heaven to earth. Sons bring heaven to earth. And that, I mean that is a big one because I, I see it all through the body of Christ. So many are trying to get everybody to heaven. When in fact I believe God is trying to get heaven to us. getting us to understand who we are. And when we know that we're you know, sons and daughters of God, we carry the family line. It's in us. Heaven's not a place I go to. Heaven is a place where I dwell. The Bible says He's made us to sit together in heavenly places. Right now, right here. Heaven is here. So if Christ is living in your heart, where's heaven? It's in you. You know, it's not a faraway place. It's not a planet like Saturn way out there in the space, you know. It's right here with us, in us, through us. And then sonship, it, we live from God because of who He is, not for God. A big difference in thinking. Because a lot of people think they have to please God. You don't. Jesus pleased the Father. And when you accept Jesus, then you don't have to please Him. But if you're, if you're living to try to please Him, you're going to be very disappointed. Because there's going to be days you don't add up. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I have those days. You know? So we all do, right? And so the believer's touch cleanses the world versus the touch, the world's touch corrupts the believer. And that's the d- difference. We see what happened in the prodigal son when he went out on his way to, you know, to have his fun with his friends. What it did to him. He couldn't even think of himself as a son anymore. He says, I just want to come home and be a servant because daddy's servants get more than I get right now. I can't. I'm starving, so I'm going to have to change my, my thinking. But God never changed. The father never changed his thinking in that parable about the son. Never one time did he ever see his son as a servant. He only saw him as a son. And after even giving him his inheritance, full inheritance, when he went out, God didn't. You know, when he came back home, the father says, "I still have money left over. I'm going to give you some of my stuff. I'm going to give you my best robe." I'm going to give you my ring, which means, you know, authority. You can have everything I have is yours. You know, and that's just, just shows you the incredible love of God. How much He loves us. And He never gives up on us. Never. He'll chase us down until we do what we're supposed to do. Okay, I'm here. I'm done. You know, because I always ask people when they're striving to try to do something for God, how's that working for you? you know, it don't work. You get frustrated. You get angry. You get mad. And I don't know if you try to run from God the best story in the Bible about trying to run from God is the book of Jonah. You know, you want to run from God, just read that book. You know, it'll tell you everything that, you know, he did wrong. And then he got this free ride in the belly of a big fish, you know? And then he got puked up. You know, on land. He had no problem preaching to Nineveh at that point, but then he got angry when God wasn't going to forgive him. That Crazy guy. Crazy prophet. Named Jonah. Great story. And then the next one, set the temperatures like a thermostat. That's Sonship. And the, the orphan heart measures the temperature like a thermometer. And then Sonship treats people according to their destiny. But the orphan heart treats people according to their past. And that's, there's a lot of that going a lot around today in the body of Christ. Sonship influences the world. The orphan heart is influenced by the world. Sonship, confident in hearing God's voice. Orphan heart, afraid, afraid of being misled. Sonship, God's pleasure without performing. And that's where you say, Amen, Hallelujah. Thank you. And the orphan heart is pressure to perform. The son is at rest. And the orphan heart is restless. So last week I shared with you about what an orphan heart really feels like. And it, it, it's a feeling of an abandonment a rejection and I mean I gotta believe that the prodigal son felt all those things abandoned rejected helpless isolated comfortless lonely empty and which all lead to addictions you know and I we have a society filled with addictions and hard-heartedness independence isolation insecurity disappointment and hopelessness and I believe much of the or of this orphan status originated in the garden at the fall When our first parents chose self-sufficiency over belonging and resting in the complete care of the Father. I mean, God wants to take care of us. I mean, just read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because He provides my every need. Everything I need emotionally, everything I need spiritually, He provides everything we need. And so when your identity is... Wherever your identity is, there will your heart be also. I believe the church in America is in an identity crisis. They don't really know who they are. And they're trying to find themselves. You know, they try to, they they read a book about, you know, some guy in California's got a church of 50,000. And they all want to be like him. I won't tell you who he is. But everybody tries to be like the purpose-driven church. Because he, he was successful. But why be like anybody else when God calls us to be who we are? Amen. And I, I really, and it's not about numbers. It's not about size. It's about what's in our hearts. What really counts is relationship. You know? And naturally, how we view ourselves, whether we view ourselves, some of us still view ourselves, even though we're, the Bible declares we're sons and daughters, some of us still see ourselves as orphans. Because we're still struggling with abandonment. We're still struggling with rejection. We're still struggling with helplessness. In our, own, in our own bodies, in our own you know, things that we feel. But that's not the way God wants us to be that way. He wants us to be totally free and be able to sense and feel His, His love and His kindness. And so depending on our personal history and where we stand in our relationship with God, we may know intellectually, like I said, that we are sons or daughters. We may even be able to speak it out loud and believe at the surface level, I'm a son of God! But is it really inside? Is it really there? Is it is it something that... Because you you can come here today and, and make any kind of, you know, yeah, I'm with you, Pastor. I'm with you 100%. But what about tomorrow? What about Tuesday? How about when you wake up Wednesday? How about when you wake up Thursday? You know, see, because often in the deepest places in our spirits, we identify with the orphan to some degree. The orphan identity, heart, spirit however you want a label that will inform and affect every aspect of what we think and do how we act our lives out how we act every day how we act and respond to others and how i mean you're going to have interaction with people this week somewhere even if you don't want it i mean if you go to the grocery store you're going to have interaction with somebody or if you go anywhere it will manifest itself in a variety of traits like i've already mentioned it will dictate how you see and you respond to certain circumstances And it can determine a particular path you take in life, and it will most certainly affect how you believe. How you believe. Because it's very important. I mean, if there's anything we need to get a grasp on in our lives, it's relationships. How to handle relationships. What do you do? What do you do with offense? Because it'll come. You could just drive down the freeway and get offended. You know, you don't even have to talk to anybody. You can just be listening to your to your worship music and driving down the freeway praising the Lord. And somebody on the left side is going to turn in front of you and make a right turn in front of you, cut you off, and you're going to get a choice: either to speak in tongues or speak in another tongue. You get a choice. I've always chosen whenever somebody's done that to me. I always say, I hope he's in. Hey, get him, Jesus! I hope he's in church next Sunday. You know, I hope he's somewhere where somebody's telling him about the good news. Because he needs some good news. Because there's something going on in his head that's like, ooh, out there. But what does the orphan heart look like in action? And, and And that's why we went to this parable. Because this is the best parable to see the orphan heart in action. The younger son, you know, who is really possessing an orphan heart. And... To be truthful, the older brother has one too, because when the father invited them in to enjoy the son that was home, that was who was lost, who was found, who who didn't know who he was, but now he does. When the brother was invited in, he didn't want nothing to do with him. And we can liken, you know, we can liken the parable of the son of the prodigal son of like God grafting in the Gentiles into the body of Christ, and Israel saying, "I don't want no part. I don't want no part of them Gentiles." If you ever read the first, you know, seven eight chapters of the book of Acts, the Jewish people didn't like the fact that God was grafting in the Gentiles into being part of the chosen people. It was kind of ugly for a while there. So people have problems with different kinds of people. I mean, oh, that's true in the world. <laughs> you know. So we aren't told why but the younger son is clearly dissatisfied with his life and he wants to go out and be his own person. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to make his own decisions. And every your own decision you make, there's a consequence for your decision. And we see the consequence for his decisions. It doesn't say how long he partied, but it does say at some point what he was doing did not work because he was starving. He was hungry. And so he had to make another decision. And so like Adam, millions of people in our present world choose self-sufficiency and independence over all that comes with our birthright in knowing Jesus and being adopted into the family, being a part of the kingdom. Implied in his choice to leave home is the hardening of his heart against his father and a perceived disconnect between his father and himself. And it's a denial of a relationship and a lack of understanding and confidence in knowing who He is. I mean, every parent I know, every parent unit, I mean, we might be different in how we raise our kids, but ultimately, every parent raises their children and tries to give them the best identity they can have because they love them. It's love. I mean, it's the same thing like I said yesterday at the funeral. I said, why did Jesus turn water into wine? Because He loved them. Why did He feed 5,000, not counting children and and kids, 5,000? Why did Jesus do that? Because He loved them. Why does He forgive all of our sins, past, present, and future? It's because He loves us. I mean, I don't know about you, but every relationship I've ever been in, my marriage, and my grandchildren, and my family, it's all about love. It don't happen without love. And it's the same thing in any relationship. When you try to be independent or self-sufficient, watch out. There's consequences. Consequences. And we don't always see them. Because sometimes they're hidden. Sometimes we get a false idea of what, you know, what we can do. But we have to realize that God created the family for a purpose of support. And when this young man in the prodigal son, when he was done and destitute, and he was, you know, he had nothing left. Where did he turn? Back to his father, who had an estate full of things. Amen. And what did the did the father when he came home? Did the father say, "I told you so"? That's what we would do. But that's not what God does. See, when you make a mistake and you do something and you choose self sufficiency over God, He doesn't correct you. He loves you back. He doesn't point out your faults. He doesn't judge you. Read your Bible that says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And God is the judge. What we're supposed to do is love them. That's our only obligation. And it just shows me that the Father, when the prodigal son went out, it shows me over and over that the Father kept a forgiving heart towards His Son. Because He was waiting for Him to return. When He saw Him afar off, He lifted up His robe, which was disgraceful in that culture. And He ran to His Son before He could even get to Him. And before He ever could say the speech, He hugged Him and He kissed Him. And He told Him He loved Him. See, God is all about relationship. He's all about loving us, no matter what. He loves us when we're first born when we're babies. And He loves us when we die. He's got it all taken care of from the beginning until the end. It's always been taken care of. And that's what's so great about knowing His Word and knowing Him. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen. Amen? Amen. But it's not, a for, it's not for a lack of love or provision. And, we, and sometimes we know that the enemy of our soul knows how to sow seeds of doubt in us. He knows how to give us discontent. He knows how to put restlessness in us. He knows how to give us fear and shame. And whatever He thinks might unsettle us and erode our sense of true identity of who we are in Christ. See, you have to start thinking of all that you are in Christ every day. And I appreciate this. I'm going to be honest with you. I appreciate Facebook for one reason. Because whenever I post on Facebook, I post about who I am in Christ. And it gives me strength to believe, and encourages me not only of all the people that say I like that, you know, or they make a comment and they'll say yes, and but it's something that encourages us, you know. It's just important that we meditate and that we concentrate constantly, reminding ourselves who we are in Christ. I don't know what you need if you need a, you know, if you need something. I guess there's there's apps now. There's an app there called Dwell that you can. I know it's a cost app app biblical app but it will tell you who you are in Christ it will help you confess I, I don't think you need that I just think you need a, a piece of paper and or a Bible or write something down I, I think we have probably tons of those over there about who you are in Christ we've done that for a little while as well many series on that but leaving home is then much more than a historical event bound to time and place it's the denial of spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being And that God holds me safe. See, God is holding us safe in His arms in His eternal embrace carved in the palm of God's hands, hidden in their shadows. Leaving home means ignoring the truth that God has fashioned me in secret, molded me in the depths of the earth, and knitted me together in my mother's womb. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm I'm quoting Psalm 139. I mean, read it in multiple translations. Read it in the amplified version. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amplified. Read it in, you know, a different version, the Passion Translation. Leaving home is living as though I don't know yet I have a home. Most people are trying to leave home like this orphan, this orphan son. He was trying to leave home looking for something because he thought he was missing something when it was always right there with him. He was just making a bad choice of self-sufficiency and independence. And we can see how the prodigal's plan to run his own life works. Not surprisingly, he squanders his inheritance, which really began in his heart while he was still at home. Because he was planning it out before it ever happened. He was thinking about it. And he ends up penniless, starving and enslaved, living in the lifestyle of a stereotypical orphan. And what is interesting, though, is that when he remembers his father and decides to return home, it's not a sudden realization of his sonship. His mind and his heart have clearly not changed significantly. For when he came to himself, returning to his usual way of thinking, he ultimately decides to renounce his sonship and say to his father, I'm, a, I'm not a son anymore. I'm just Just make me one of your servants. He couldn't even get out of it. Even though he knew he needed help, he still wasn't thinking right. And I think a lot of people come to Christ, accept Christ as their Savior, get into the church, get into the body, but they still don't understand who they are. They still can't come to grips that God is a good God. Because a lot of times what we do with, with the face of God, we put the face of you know our earthly father or somebody who disappoints us. We put that face on God and then we try to relate to God by what we think we, we, we can only relate to humanly when God is not that person. God is not angry. He's not even in a bad mood. The Bible says He's moved into the neighborhood and pitched a tent in your backyard. Because He loves you. Because He cares about you. He's just trying to get into the house. And once He gets into the house, He dwells with us forever. And He never leaves us. Never. He never gets disappointed in us. You get disappointed in yourself. But He doesn't get disappointed in you. So you got to be careful how you think. Because it's our thinking that knocks us out. Not His thinking. So if you want to know what He thinks, just read Jeremiah 29.11. He'll tell you what He thinks about you. He doesn't think evil of you. He only thinks of a future and a hope. He only thinks good things about you. Not only does this younger son not know who he is, he obviously doesn't know who his father is, and surprisingly, even the elder son operates in the same orphan heart. Upon hearing what he heard, and so these reactions are, are start like start flowing everywhere. These they flow from the heart and the spirit corrupted by. I tell you what what gets you to be self sufficient is insecurity. When you don't know where home is, you, it's just a sign that you're insecure, or you're jealous, or you're self righteous. Wounded by the deep, deeply cultivated perception that he was not good enough or loved enough by his father to be worthy of the celebration his brother was getting. And like his younger brother, he felt he had earned what he had received from his father through his service and obedience. But it also applied that he thought he earned more than he actually received. And it was not true because the father said, you could have had it any time you wanted it. All you had to do is ask. What does the Bible say? We have not because we ask not. We don't ask. I can remember the Lord telling me years ago, I, and, and we were in a very prosperous time, that time at that time, and the Lord telling me, you don't ask enough. I said, whoa. You know, some, somebody tell you in my house, they said, like, you know, God tapped on the shoulders, talking to you. <laughs> but he thought he knew what being a true son was, but now his understanding was being turned upside down as he watched his father's reaction to his disobedient brother's return. The elder brother also does not know who his father is or recognize his true position in the father's life. And I need to interpret the story to make us each aware of something that we could easily miss. It is perhaps easier to realize that you have lived the life of an orphan when you have found yourself lost and alone in a distant country, made colossal mistakes, or have been powerless to help yourself out of a difficult situation. But if you have a hard-working, successful and seemingly have your life together, could you still be living with an orphan's heart? The answer is yes. Because there's a lot of people today on the treadmill of success, trying to get to the top, knock everybody out of the way so that they can be number one. And most times, we can all say that there's always been something below the surface, steaming from an identity not rooted in the love of God or His fatherhood over us. And so whether we are like the younger brother or the older brother, or perhaps like both of them at the same time and at different times, I'd like to give you four things that I see that make up the orphan heart. I'm not going to elaborate on them today, but at another time. But there's four things that makes up the orphan heart. The first one is soul loneliness. I mean, what your soul is, your mind, your will, and your emotions. See, most people today are driven by their feelings, what they feel, by their emotions. And if you do that all the time, you're not going to make it too far. Soul loneliness. Number two, restless wandering. Looking for a home when you've always had a home. You leave home finding, trying to look for your home when you've always had a home. The third one is shame. Shame. I won't even tell you where that comes from right now. We can spend a long time on that. And the fourth one is fear. Too many of us often hear these words inside of us on a regular basis. For instance, as soon as someone accuses us or criticizes us, as soon as we're rejected, left alone or abandoned, we find ourselves thinking, well, that just proves once again that I'm a nobody. Nobody. I'm no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten and rejected and abandoned. See, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice of God that calls us beloved. Being beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. You are beloved. Just look at the word. What is it? Being loved. Beloved. And yet the Father is saying to us today these words. And the Lord gave me this picture. He said, can you imagine right now in your mind the ocean? See the ocean. Picture it in your mind. How you love to see the ocean. Think how vast it is. How vast is an ocean? How deep is an ocean? How wide can an ocean be? And then think of how the horizon stretches out to infinity in your sight. I'm telling you, all of that cannot contain my love for you. All of that cannot contain my love for you. My love for you is bigger. It's deeper. It's wider. And it has no end. Our Heavenly Father spends His extravagant love recklessly on us at all times. And He is the perfectly fitting answer to all our hopelessness in our lives. His love flowing from His heart is the cure for everything we are looking for in all the wrong places. I always tell people, if you're looking for love, just find God. It's real simple. God is love. And I know a lot of ladies you know, throughout the years of, that I've been in ministry, 35 years, that if you, they really want to find a man, all they got to do is find a man that seeks God and loves God with all their heart. They're going to get a gem when they get married. Because that heart's going to be in the right place. So His love flowing from His heart is the cure. And all the Father has, He has given to us. Luke 15, 31. The Father says, all that I have is yours. You lack nothing. So our Father's house is a house of abundance, and there will always be more than enough. And He gives us an inheritance. His robe, His ring, and His shoes, and throws us a party that we cannot imagine. Now these are not things that are material. These are things that are spiritual. See, inheritance is not about getting something. It's about God getting something in you. See, when you realize who you are in Christ and what God puts inside of you, that the God of the universe is dwelling inside of you, you lack nothing. And if you're still searching for something, you're going to have a lot of consequences to face while you're going. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. But you can always come home because the Father's always waiting. He's always there waiting. And He gives us that inheritance. And if that is not enough... He then sends His only begotten Son, Jesus, who calms the storm for those who are afraid. He feeds those who are hungry. He befriends the lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He shows righteous anger to those who oppress His beloved. You having fun, John, back there? With all the pictures? Yeah, okay, wonderful. And He takes ordinary people and casts and raises them up to be His sons and daughters and His forever family. And He gives each one His kingdom and His working of miracles by their hands. And like a perfect Father, He comforts, He bears our burdens, He lays down His very life for those He loves. And He even gives us a new heart when we're born again and exchanging ours for His. And you know by now that it's impossible to sum up the love and the goodness of God in any single teaching. That anyone could ever say, including me. Yet in His love, in His covenant love, in the Hebrew language, there is a word that is used. It's called hesed. H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. Can you say that? Hesed. In which there is no exact English word for it to be translated. And it can best be described as steadfast, loyal, faithful, unfailing love. Why did He choose Israel? Why did God choose Israel? Why did He choose us? There's only one reason. said, Covenant love. His love for us. The word said" is used 248 times in the Old Testament alone. And I don't have the time or the space to explain all that about this word said" because we can go on on that thing too. And so today, again, you get a glimpse of the Father's love. Our lovesick Father with His said heart, the One who waits at the door, cannot bear to let us go it at it alone anymore without His rescue. And so what does He do? He comes to us running, as it were, to save us. And to fulfill His covenant promise to us and to lead us home into His loving arms where we forever belong. And we're safe and sound. Like He said to the prodigal, He's home. My son is safe and sound. He's with me, home. Amen and amen. Next week, i going to have the worship team come. Next week I'll address the, the biblical concept of adoption. And I'm going to call my teaching, Grafted In to God's Family. Grafted In to God's Family.